Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Well, it's so good to see you today and glad that you are here. And uh, God has graced us with a beautiful day. And you may be thinking, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's hot. You ought to be up here on this black stage. And uh, it's a whole lot better than online. Amen? Now, I could present you with an opportunity, and, and, and we're going to be putting a survey online in the next week or so where you can get on there and check what you would be most comfortable with. But some of the options include doing an early service outside, excuse me, early service, this service inside for those that want to come and wear a mask and uh, wrestle with their kids, and then one outside in the evening like we did a few weeks ago where we did date night. So we may be mixing it up a little bit as it continues to get warmer before we're free to go in. I want you to know as a church family, the reason some churches are able to go ahead and start having indoor services is that that works for them. It doesn't work well for us because we're loaded upside down with babies and children and it's hard to keep them socially distanced and it's hard for parents to wrestle them and keep their family in a little huddle for an hour or longer in service. But now, if you would like to meet and wear a mask and wrestle your kids, you can send me, call me and let me know that you're really anxious to do that. Uh, I'm not that anxious, but if you are, we'll make provision for you. So today we're going to be talking about something that's just beautiful. And it's for every single person here, young and old. I want you to look at the people around you and say, hey, this is for you. For you, you need to listen up. The last thing that Jesus would teach, the last teaching moment that Jesus would have before he willingly laid down on a cross to be crucified is this moment today. John, the author of this gospel, has yielded 12 chapters, today 13, to 30 three years of an extraordinary life, the life of Jesus. John is going to continue and he's going to give the next eight chapters to the last week of this extraordinary man's life. It's pretty wild. It's, 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 it's weighted heavier on his last week than it is on the first 33 years of his life. And so today's passage is a hinge point. It is a pivot point that moves Jesus from his ministry on earth to his ministry of dying and preparing to go back to heaven. It's, it's the last moment he has with his boys, with his followers, with his disciples, before he dies on a cross. This is the eve, the night before he hangs on a cross. And, and of all of the things that he could teach about, because Jesus is God and so he's a wealth of information, and of all of the things that he could reach into his repertoire and choose a subject matter that he is versed in and certainly able to teach on, today is what he selects. And there's a reason for it. There was a reason for it 2,000 years ago and the reason is still true today. And so we're gonna see that today as we look back at John chapter 13. Now to begin, I, I, I wanna get an illustration out here. If you are a tennis enthusiast or you are a good tennis player, blow your horn. If you're a good player because you think you're a good player, 
blow your horn. Yeah, sometimes it's because we think we're a good player. Well, about 35 years ago, 40 years ago now, I went to Tennessee Tech, and my first day at Tennessee Tech, I got a roommate. And my roommate was from Canada. And he was about six foot four, weighed about 225, 35 pounds. I was the same height I am now, but not near the man I am today. 6'2", weighed about 175 pounds, okay? And so I was a scrawny little man, and he walks into the room, and we both owned a tennis racket, and both of us, neither one of us knew how to play tennis. And so one of the first conversations he ever had with me, he walks in from Canada, he says, hey, my name's Ryan. I'm from Canada. He says, uh, you play tennis? I said, huh? You play tennis? I say, tennis? Yeah, I play tennis. I did, and I was terrible. And, and, and back in the day, people had wooden rackets, and they were small. And I had just bought a new racket made by Prince. It was the first oversized racket. And I had it hanging on the door like I knew something about the sport. And he says, is that your cheater racket over there? I said, do what? He says, that's your cheetah racket over there. I said, no, that's not a cheetah racket. It's a Prince racket. I'm, I'm going to use it. I can use it for more than just tennis. Now, I'll wait till you go to sleep because you're 6'4", but I will use it. So he says, you want to go play some tennis? I said, yeah, we'll go play some tennis. So we go down to the tennis court. Neither one of us knew how to play tennis or tennis. Okay? So we got down there, and as novices will do, the ball, you're just trying to hit the ball in the sweet spot. And if it goes over the fence, it's still a good hit because it was a sweet spot. But you're trying to get it over the net and land it on the court. And so the ball is bouncing almost in a roll. And me, in my skill level, went running over with my cheater racket, gripped it with both hands, and gave it the best baseball swing I've ever had. And that ball came off of the racket about a million and six miles an hour. I did not know he had run up to the net. And he's standing at the net doing some kind of jujitsu move with his racket in his hand. And that tennis ball made it right in the middle of all of that and plugged him right here in the forehead. He wore metal frame glasses. They exploded on his face. By the time I got to the net and helped him up, a tumor had swollen up on his forehead and it was bleeding all over. I had to take him to the infirmary the first day of school. I let him know who's in charge of that room. Six, four, nothing. I got a cheater racket, I'll bust your head open, all right? I had to call home, get some money to buy him some glasses. Come find out, he was a genius, an absolute genius, and we had a great relationship. I was in his wedding, he was a great guy. But in not knowing how to play this game, <clears throat> it changes everything. And I want you to know today, not knowing how to play the Christian game, how to be the Christian, the disciple of Jesus, often in our ignorance, we're not playing the game well. Outcome is not what it should be. And we are not being uh, experiencing the fullness of what it is He wants. Now, we would later find out, because we actually became really pretty good tennis players, both of us, and we passed school. And so this is what we would learn is that when you begin a game, somebody has to be the server and somebody has to be the receiver. The server is responsible for hitting the ball across the net, landing it into a particular spot so the receiver can attempt to return it. And so to determine who's going to be the server and who's going to be the receiver, you look at the end of the tennis racket, typically there's a logo, and you would spin the tennis racket around and let it fall. And depending on the way the logo landed, it determined who would be the server and who would be the receiver. Now, when you're not any good, you really don't want to be the server.
Because if you're not any good, the pressure is on. Your job now is to throw the ball up, give it all you have, make it barely clear the net, land in a particular zone, and attempt to keep them from hitting it back to you. You don't want the server's job if you haven't learned how to be the server. If you haven't experienced what serving is really supposed to feel like. And so today we're going to talk about servers and receivers. We're going to talk about givers and takers. Because the last thing Jesus would teach on, the, 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 the finale of his teaching moments, was trying to help those who follow him move from the place of receiver to the place of being the server. So if you've got your Bibles, open it to John chapter 13 as we continue. I'm, I'm, I'm using paper notes, so I'm going to wrestle with them today. My iPad gets hot, and, uh, and I'm just scared to do preach without notes. So there you have it. So servers and receivers is the title of the message. And the question is, which one are you? So point number one, the life of a receiver. We're going to see what a receiver looks like in his life, how it, the fruition of his life, what it leads to. And then we're going to ask a question at the end of the day, is that me? John chapter 13 begins in verse 1, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that he should betray Jesus. Now, let me pause right here, because I saw something I've never seen before. I kind of make fun of doubting Thomas sometimes, because he carried with him to this very day 2,000 years ago, doubting Thomas. That he was the guy who doubted that Jesus had resurrected. I, never, I had never seen this guy. Judas's dad. The only time he's mentioned in Scripture is that he is the dad that fathered the betrayer of Jesus. Uh, that's a Father's Day message if I've ever seen one. So right now, wives, tell your husband it matters that you're a good daddy. It matters. It matters. Here's one. It mattered, and it cost him his whole legacy. And so he, he, now Jesus is at this Last Supper, and he's going to teach them something. And he begins by saying, the devil had already entered into the heart of Judas. So Judas is at the dinner table with the disciples and with Jesus, and he had already made a deal with the devil. He had already taken the money. If you look over into Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6, you learn a little bit more about the story. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread called Passover was approaching, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted, and they agreed to give Judas money. 
And Judas consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So before the dinner ever happened, Judas the receiver, Judas the taker, Judas the betrayer had already made a deal with the devil. But I want you to notice something. He's at the dinner. You see, often receivers and takers look like servers and givers. They walk alongside them. They often eat the same food, wear the same kind of clothes, smell the same way, talk the same way. But there's something different about their heart. There's something different on the inside. And so we can't always tell exactly what we're looking at. But I want you to know that, Jesus, that Judas had every reason to understand serving. Judas had every reason to have a heart transplant. Judas had every reason to become a server, a true follower of Jesus. Judas had heard all of the messages. Judas had seen all the miracles. Judas had been exposed to the truth. Judas had been convicted of the Holy Spirit, no doubt. Judas was exposed to the full measure of it. But somehow, Judas had manipulated and massaged the truth into something that worked for him. Into something that would make him what he thought he should be and yet never change from the inside out. And so, sometimes people say, well, do you believe Judas was a believer? No. Do you believe Judas lost his salvation? I mean, after all, he ran with the disciples. You can't lose your salvation. Jesus is the one who did the salvation. Jesus is the one who did all the work. Jesus does all the saving. And to think you can undo what he does trumps Jesus, and you ain't that good. Not even at sinning. And so Judas did not lose his salvation because Judas never had salvation to lose. Judas was a follower but Judas was not a believer. Judas was a disciple, but G Judas was not a child of God. And so sometimes we blame things on other people. And sometimes people blame things on you. There are people maybe today in your circle who have lost their way. And they have become just really, really big takers. Not very good at giving. They, they, they're real good at receiving, but they're really not that good at serving. I want you to know their actions, maybe you've tried to help them get to a new place, their actions are not your fault. Their actions are upon them. Just like Judas's actions were not Jesus' fault. Judas's actions were Judas's fault. And it lands on him. You see, the scripture is very clear that we answer for none other than ourselves. Now, we're responsible for sharing and teaching and helping others, but we're responsible in the end purely for ourselves. We learn that fathers are responsible for their families. But when it all comes down to it, everybody answers for themselves. And it's true. For Judas, James 1.22 distinguishes 
the difference between Judas and the other disciples. It distinguishes the difference between a server and a receiver. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. There was no shortage in, G in Judas's mind of the word of God. But there was a deficit or a tremendous shortage of the word of God in Judas's heart. And, and so today, there are many that they have a knowledge of the truth, they have a knowledge of the teachings of Jesus, but they don't have an application. They don't live obediently to what it is they know that they should do. Now, in John 13, 29, it tells us a little bit about Judas. It says, Judas was treasurer. He kept the money bag. Judas had a thing for the money. Judas is a receiver because as we find out when we read this passage, Judas is about Judas. Judas wants to promote and elevate and enhance his own little world. And such it is with receivers. Such it is with takers. They simply want what's best for them. But the opposite is true for a server. A server looks for the best interest of others. So Judas demonstrates the fact that he is purely a taker. Now, he was taught about salvation. He saw salvation in Jesus, the one he followed. He stood at the door for three years to salvation. He, 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 he heard how it is he could become one who is a server, but it never took root. He just played the game with a deceitful and a greedy heart. He was a receiver and not a giver. Now, a taker is never satisfied. Have you ever known somebody, um, and it may be with power, it may be with relationship, it may be with money, that there's never enough. Have you ever known somebody that it just seemed like they were never content? If you've ever known somebody like that, blow your horn. If they're in the car with you, blow your horn. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Okay, go dead. Okay, sometimes we play that part too. Sometimes we play that part too. That's what the life of a, a taker is. We're never really satisfied with anything. We're always searching. No, so what happens to Judas? Does he become a happy person because he got a sack full of coins? He added to his personal portfolio. He, he now has increased his net wealth. Is he a happy person now? No. Listen to what happens in Matthew chapter 27. It says, early in the morning, verse 1, after Judas had taken the money, he betrayed Jesus. And all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. And he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Oh, what is that to us? The chief priest replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas 
threw the money into the temple, and he left. Then he went away, and he hanged himself. Okay. Now, that seems simple enough. Judas, with remorse, threw the money back at the chief priest into the temple, went away and hung himself from a tree to die. But if you're a Bible reader, you've also read another passage in Acts chapter 1. That sounds a little different. And so then we wonder, okay, maybe there's a contradiction in the Bible after all. Maybe he didn't just hang himself. So I want you to know the full counsel. Apparently, Judas later regretted he had thrown the money in the temple. Apparently, he went back and picked up those coins and took them after all. What makes me believe such a thing? Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Peter is preaching to the early church, about 120 people. And he says in verse 17, Judas was one of the one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. And with the payment that he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and all of his intestines spilled out. Pretty nice, huh? It says, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, field of blood. So apparently what happened is Judas went back, he regretted his regret, picked up the coins, went and bought a piece of property, then hung himself from a tree on that property, and after days of his body heating up in the sun, it would decay. Kind of morbid, kind of disgusting, kind of like a bad episode of Criminal Minds. And then ultimately either the tree limb broke, the rope broke, or his neck snapped, he fell, and he burst open. Isn't that a wonderful picture? And then you think about, well, now, wait a minute. This is the guy who betrayed Jesus. This is the true taker. This is the one who was about receiving for himself. And all of us, you know you think, serves him right. I mean, you don't really, you wouldn't write that, but after you hear it, after the Holy Spirit has written it, you're like, amen, that's what he deserves. All of us, all of us have that, a little bit of that in us. So he died an unhappy person, and his fate, was a miserable death. So, in our world today, there are many receivers. They're born receivers. They never grow out of receiving, and they die a receiver. They're born to take, they live to take, and they die to take. And you know it's true. The first time you have a baby, and you think, yeah, babies are innocent. They can't be sinners. They can't be under the sin curse. They're innocent. Look at them in the hospital. But then you get them home, and you realize they got a little devil in them too. They are takers and receivers, and they want, and they want, and they want. Funny story, the family that goes here, she had some chocolate, I think it was cookies, on a table. She told her little boy and a little girl, now, don't eat any of those cookies until I get back. And they said, okay, we won't eat any of the cookies. What they didn't know was she had a camera set up videoing them. She walked around the corner, little girl, looked at them, walked over toward them, walked away. Little boy walked over toward them, got a cookie, ate a cookie. She got back, she said, did y'all eat my cookies? She, little boy said, nope, <laughs> nope. That is what I'm talking about. 
We're all at some point takers and receivers. But you see, there's supposed to be a, uh, a moment, a spot on the timeline when all of that changes and we are to become givers and servers. And some people never find that moment. You see, in the church, God has gifted every believer. Tell the person with you, you too, okay? Every believer has been given a gift. And the gift is not for your own personal gain as a taker or a receiver. The gift has been given so that you can use it while giving and serving in the church. So much so, Paul devotes a whole chapter to the church being like a body, a human body, an anatomy, where every part plays its part, where everything does its thing. And in the end, everybody benefits. And when one of the parts fails to perform, everybody suffers. So now we've looked at the life of a receiver and a taker. Now Jesus in his last teaching moment is going to tell us what it means and show us what it means to be a server and a giver. In verse 3 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, it says, because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and now he was going back to God. So pause right here. Jesus knew he really didn't need to impress anybody. And Jesus wants you to know you really don't need to impress anybody. Jesus knew that he was God. Jesus knew that he was the one who spoke the stars into space. Jesus knew he was the one that caused them to shine. Jesus knew that he's the one who suspended them in their particular galaxy. Jesus knew that he had a number and a name for them. And Jesus knew that when one fell from the sky, it was according to his sovereign design. And he took note of it. Jesus knew all about himself. And it didn't matter what everybody else thought. I want to tell you, church, Christian, it is extremely liberating when we understand that although we're not Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the world, we have been adopted into that eternal kingdom in Jesus' name. And what is Jesus's is now ours. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And when we know that one truth with certainty, the rest of it really doesn't matter anymore. And when it doesn't matter anymore, you can become a servant because you're not about building up your personal kingdom. You're about participating, wow, in His eternal kingdom. Now, here He is in this moment, and He's at the table, and supper is over. This is the last teaching moment. What's the most significant, the most radical, the most amazing truth He can impart on His early disciples? What's the most incredible thing, the most useful, needed thing He can impart in your life? It's to be a server. Now look, at, look and see what Jesus did. Supper's over. Verse 4. Jesus got up from the meal removed his outer robe or clothes. He took a towel and he tied it around himself. 
And he poured water into the wash basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel he wrapped around himself. Now look down at verse 12. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he took his place at the table again and said to them, Do you understand what I just did? I just think this is beautiful. Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the world. Jesus, the one who has demonstrated his power over nature, over demons, over, uh, over hell. He's getting ready to prove his power over death, hell, and the grave. This same Jesus got up from the table and went and washed their feet. Now let me help you understand something. In that culture in that day, the people had basically one mode of transportation and that was to walk. If you were a person of material possessions, you might have a donkey, you might have a camel, you might have a horse. But for the most part, we were walking. And we were walking on these Roman, stony Roman dirt roads covered in the dung of the animals who preceded us. And so when we went to somebody's house, it was customary and normal and usual for someone to be there to wash your feet, to wash it of the dirt and the animal waste and the grime of the street while you traveled. It showed respect for you that you would come to their home. It, it, it allowed your feet to be clean so you could enter their home. Now who would do such a menial, lowly task? If you weren't a person of possessions, you would hire a slave for the day, for the event. If you had servants or slaves, it would be the lowest one on the priority list. The lowest job in the household was the position of foot washer. And after supper is over, Jesus takes on that position. Now, the life of a server looks like what Jesus does right here. Uh, serving is a posture of humility. Serving is a posture of others being more important than we are. And it's not our natural tendency. It's not our natural proclivity to play ourselves down and play others up. And so what Jesus does, first of all, I want you to notice, he got up from the table. There are people today that know they should be serving rather than receiving, but they find themselves content being served. They find themselves being a taker when they know they're called to be a giver. And I want to tell you, it happens in the moment when we get up and start. It will never happen staying in our seat. It requires intentionality. It requires effort. It requires some form of internal motivation that we get up out of our receiving position and move into our serving position. Jesus got up from the table. Jesus, the creator of the universe, got up from the table. Now I want you to notice the second thing he does is he removes his outer robe, his outer clothing, and puts a towel around him and picks up a basin of water. The second thing I want you to know after getting up is it has to be okay that you don't worry about what people think anymore. You're not trying to impress somebody with your appearance. And so you take on the appearance of a slave. You're not trying to impress with your looks. And, and so what Jesus does is he says, you know what? I want to teach them in this last teaching moment what it really looks like to be a server and not a receiver. So he puts a towel on, he gets a basin of water. He doesn't care what they think. 
back to what I said. When you realize you are adopted into the kingdom of God, that you're a joint heir with Jesus, it really doesn't matter what people think anymore. The third thing I want you to see is that for him to wash their feet, he would have had to stoop down below them. He, he would have had to get on his knees and wash their feet. He would elevate them above himself. A server does that. A server puts people above themselves. A, a server counts other people more worthy than themselves. And that's what Jesus did. Now, today we have people who know that they should serve, but they've never got up, took on the look of a slave, stooped down to serve others. And yet this is the life of a server. I want you to notice also it's unannounced and unprovoked. Nobody said, Jesus, we didn't have a foot washer. Why don't you do that for us? No, Jesus looked. Jesus saw a need. Jesus got up and moved into that need. He doesn't want recognition for it. He simply is a server who wants to teach everybody else how to serve. And so today, there's a place for you to serve. In this teaching moment, there's a place for you to serve. And you say, well, he's talking to his disciples, is he? Let's continue to read in the text. In verse 14, after Jesus goes back to the table, in 13, he says, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you now an example, and you should do just as I have done for you. I tell you the solemn truth. The slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent as a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, now let me unpack this. Let me explain. I, I'm not talking about the church at Sturkey Hills is going to start a foot washing ministry. That's not what it's talking about. I mean, if you want to wash somebody's feet to serve them, that's fine. But that's not what this is talking about. In fact, the feet of that day are entirely different from the feet of this day. I mean, on this day, I've got shoes on. Now, it may smell like a stinky sock, but it's not that dirty, okay? And I've got a wife and raised two daughters, and on a regular basis, they would go down and have their feet pedicured. Layman's term they would have their toes did. Any ladies ever have your toes did? <laughs> okay, a funny story. Now I've got great feet 4,000 years ago, okay? In an agrarian society, I have very utilitarian feet, okay? They would be good for like digging holes, climbing trees, picking clams out of a clamshell. I mean, that's the kind of feet I got. You know, Dan Thomas up here, he just looked down at his feet. He's, got, he's proud of his feet. He's got Jerusalem cruisers on today, it's good. Okay, my feet are not, they're good, good, usable feet, not very attractive. So several years ago, we were going on a vacation on a cruise, and Kendra said, uh, you need to have them feet done. You need to get your toes did. I said, I am not going to get my toes did. I did. I did. I had my toes did. Okay. Now, something about 
a grown man sitting in a recliner with a little Asian woman with a mask on messing around with my feet is all upside down wrong. Now you may get your toes dead men every day, that's fine. But I'm telling you, man, it freaked me out. For the first 20 minutes, man, I, it's like she was putting a red hot poker between my toes. Don't be messing around with my toes. They're not designed for that. Now, honest, I'll be honest, I'll be candid with you, transparent. After about 20 minutes, I got used to it. It's kind of nice. I know why they did it. I don't, I don't do it, but I know why they do it, okay? They take a, they, they mess around with your toenails, they pull your toes apart, and then they take a, a rasp, a grinder, and they rub the skin off your feet, and you can watch your feet falling off in the bucket. That is wrong. That, feet is, that meat is on the feet for a reason. But I'm telling you this, when we got home, I reached down and touched my foot. Slick. It was the nicest my feet had been since I was born. Okay? So, I'm not saying that this is about having a foot-washing ministry. This is what this is. This is when you, tell the person with you, he's talking to you now. This is when you look up in the circle of the Christian world that you live in. And there is a need that needs to be taken care of. There is a doing that is undone. There is that thing that you kind of drift around in the shadows, knowing it needs to be done, knowing if you hang out over here long enough and they don't see you, somebody else will step up to the plate and do that thing. This is the thing that if you made a list of stuff that you ain't doing, this is the ain't doing list. That's the thing that Jesus wants to test you with to say, are you really a servant? Will you do this? Will you do this thing that you said you ain't doing? Will you do this thing that you wait and watch for somebody else? Will you do this thing that you know needs to be done, but you don't consider yourself the person? Sometimes, listen to me, people are just too good to be good. They're just too good to be good. And Jesus says, I need all of you to watch what I just did and do the same to each other. There's not a whole lot of doing right now that needs to be did or done, depending on what part of Tennessee you're from. Because we're outside in the parking lot, and our worship team and our technicians, they do a lot of the doing. And I get up here, and I, I preach, and I love it, all right? But I want to tell you something. If you look to my left and your right, the Lord is building a new church building, two and a half times the size of that one for a reason because he has sent us many many people many many children young families adults he's sending us people and he's allowing us to build a building you know why because in this valley behind me and over here to your right to your left my right where it looks like houses fell out of a helicopter in the last year they need what you say you have. And God is going to send some of those here. And when they get here, they don't need a taker and a receiver. They need a server and a giver. And every single one of us has something to give.
Every single one of us has been gifted to serve. And I'm going to close with this. Back to the game of tennis. Tennis. When we spin the racket around to determine whether we're going to serve or receive, when you first start playing the game, you really don't want to serve because you really don't know how to do it well. And there's a lot of pressure. And so something about throwing that ball up in the air and coming down on it, swinging it hard as you can, placing it in a, placing it in a square is a little bit unnerving. And you really don't want that. You are, you are content to be the receiver. Church, I want you to know something. When you start playing tennis and you develop your game to its fullest, serving is the greatest part of the game. Once you learn how to serve, once you learn how to use what it is that's in your hand, it gets really, really good. Jesus said, I want you to go serve each other. And then he said this, and when you do, you will be blessed. In your spiritual life, you got to start somewhere. You start making a mess of service, and one day at a time, the Lord will perfect your craft. He will engage your gift. And all of a sudden, in a moment, you will serve, and you will feel how good it feels to be a server rather than a receiver and a taker. Here at the church, I'm very blessed to have a lot of servers. A lot of people who have moved into that arena of serving. It happens on Sunday mornings with our worship team who stood up here in the rain and the wind with me and in the heat. Man, they just rock solid. I, I mean, I'm, I absolutely love them. And, and, and I, I tried it. I know you do too. And, and, and then on Monday night, we have a team. And often I don't get to make it anymore. But we have a team that goes down. Don't ask any questions. They feed Knoxville's homeless. They shower them often in the summer. Feed them every week, all but about two when, when the law shut us down because of COVID. Uh, last weekend, or two, uh, Saturday, two Saturdays ago, we, we crawled around on this bank in the building in the back, a bunch of men, like goats, place, placing that straw. We've got people who keep nursery and preschool every week. We've got parking lot and lobby and church greeters. And listen to me, there's room for one more, just one more in every area. And listen to me, that one more has your name on it. So you need to find your place to serve. Jesus said it's time to move from being a receiver and a taker into the arena of being a server and a giver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible, eternal, infallible, inerrant word. We thank you that it never goes back. It only pushes forward. It is never wrong. It's only right. It's only found to be true all the time. So God, help us take the truth that you have imparted to us today. Help us take this, this reality of the greatest thing that you could have taught on the eve 
of laying yourself on a cross to demonstrate the absolute greatest act of service in the history of mankind, you wanted to, us to know, just like you wanted the disciples to know, we are to be servers and not receivers. Help us begin today. Help us look and find that place, that thing that we really don't want to do, but we know we should do. It can be as simple as holding a door open at the supermarket. It can be as simple as reaching out to our neighbors to see if they have a need. It can be as simple as calling and signing up at the church saying, listen, wherever you need me, I will serve. It may be calling Karen Cox and saying, sign me up to keep children or preschool, put me on that rotation. It may be, God, I know you've gifted me with the ability to read, study, and share your word. I want to be a group leader in my home. Whatever that need is, Father, we ask your Holy Spirit would just burn it in our soul and that we would be found obedient to your call and that this church and our families and our Christian walk and our world would be changed because we look more like you as a servant. And that is our goal. We just want to look more like you as individuals and as a church. We thank you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.